Hello, friends. It's December 28th, and this is the One Year Bible Tour Guide podcast. And we are inching our way to our stated destination, which is the complete reading of all 66 books of the Bible in a year. As we have stated before, our goal is not just to have read the Bible, but to have responded to its call to come to the foot of the cross of Christ and receive pardon, cleansing, and a new life in the Spirit. Our goal is not just to know about God through the Scripture, but that God would reveal Himself to us through the Scripture, and that we would respond in such a way that He would know us as those who have, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of our salvation, would have believed and were sealed in Christ with the Holy Spirit of promise. Our goal is that you may know him as your Lord, your sin-bearing substitute who died on the cross, taking the death penalty your sins deserved, and having paid your debt to God's law in full, was raised from the dead so that his righteousness would be credited to your account as he represents you at the right hand of God. My name is David McAdam, and I'm happy to serve as your tour guide as we travel through these final pages in the next few days from both the Old and New Testaments. We will be reading from Zechariah chapter 12 and 13 in the Old Testament, and we will be transported to heaven in the New Testament for the account of the marriage supper of the Lamb, when the Lord Jesus receives the church as his bride, presented in all her glory, without spot or wrinkle or any blemish, holy and blameless. So let's get started reading today's portions, going first to the Old Testament book of Zechariah, chapter 12, beginning with verse 1, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. The Lord will give salvation. Zechariah, chapter 12. The oracle of the word of the Lord concerning Israel. Thus declares the Lord, who stretched out the heavens and founded the earth and formed the spirit of man within him. Behold, I am about to make Jerusalem a cup of staggering to all the surrounding peoples. The siege of Jerusalem will also be against Judah. On that day I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will surely hurt themselves, and all the nations of the earth will gather against it. On that day, declares the Lord, I will strike every horse with panic, and its rider with madness. But for the sake of the house of Judah, I will keep my eyes open when I strike every horse of the peoples with blindness. Then the clans of Judah shall say to themselves, The inhabitants of Jerusalem have strength through the Lord of hosts, their God. On that day I will make the clans of Judah like a blazing pot in the midst of wood, like a flaming torch among sheaves. And they shall devour to the right and to the left all the surrounding peoples, while Jerusalem shall again be inhabited in its place in Jerusalem. And the Lord will give salvation to the tents of Judah first, that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem may not surpass that of Judah. On that day the Lord will protect the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the feeblest among them on that day shall be like David, and the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord going before them. And on that day I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem, him whom they have pierced. And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that, when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. 
On that day, the morning in Jerusalem will be as great as the morning for Hadad Rimon in the plain of Megiddo. The land shall mourn, each family by itself, the family of the house of David by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Levi by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of the Shemites by itself, and their wives by themselves, and all the families that are left, each by itself, and their wives by themselves. Chapter 13. On that day there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. Idolatry cut off. And on that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will cut off the names of the idols from the land, so that they shall be remembered no more. And also I will remove from the land the prophets and the spirit of uncleanness. And if any one again prophesies, his father and mother who bore him will say to him, You shall not live, for you speak lies in the name of the Lord. And his father and mother who bore him shall pierce him through when he prophesies. On that day every prophet will be ashamed of his vision when he prophesies. He will not put on a hairy cloak in order to deceive, but he will say, I am no prophet, I am a worker of the soil, for a man sold me in my youth. And if one asks him, What are these wounds on your back? He will say, The wounds I received in the house of my friends. The shepherd struck. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. In the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds shall be cut off and perish, and one-third shall be left alive. And I will put this third into the fire, and refine them as one refines silver, and test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name, and I will answer them. I will say, They are my people, and they will say, The Lord is my God. And this is the end of our reading from the Old Testament portion today, from the book of Zechariah. Let's take a few moments to recap and reflect. Chapter 12 begins with a second oracle or prophetic burden. Zechariah makes the divine authorship clear. This is the word of the Lord who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth, and who forms the spirit of man within him. Zechariah affirms God's sovereign authority and power. The subject is Israel's future. Zechariah repeats the expression, on that day, seven times in chapter 12 and three more times in chapter 13. He is referencing the day of the Lord, the decisive events that bring judgment upon the unbelieving world and culminate with the return of Christ and the establishment of His kingdom on earth. Once again, Jerusalem is the center stage for the drama of redemption as history comes to its climax. The city was founded on the mountains of Moriah, literally meaning scene of God where God promised to provide himself as the substitute for Abraham's son, Isaac. He would do this in the person of his only son, Jesus. Centuries later, King David would purchase the same ground, then the threshing floor of Arauna, to make sacrifice to stay the hand of God's wrath from bringing judgment on his people for David's sin. This purchased land would be the property for the construction of Solomon's temple, the Lord's dwelling place. It would be in Jerusalem that God incarnate would prove to be the fulfillment of all the place-holding sacrifices for the perfect offering of himself on the same shelf of rock 
known as the Mountains of Moriah, Mount Calvary. Jerusalem is mentioned 52 times in the book of Zechariah, 22 times in the final three chapters. Throughout the scriptures, we have evidence of God's yearning heart for his people expressed in his love for Jerusalem. At the end of this age, during the tribulation period, there will be international opposition to the nation of Israel. God will once again demonstrate his commitment to his eternal purpose by permitting Jerusalem to be surrounded by all the nations of the earth. In the book of Revelation, we learn that Satan uses demonic powers to rouse the nations to gather for war against Israel on the battlefields of Armageddon. The Apostle John describes this as the great day of God, the Almighty, for the Lord's sovereign power will be on display. He will make Jerusalem a cup. A cup is often described in the Bible as an instrument of judgment. In Psalm 75, verse 8, Isaiah chapter 51, verse 17, and verses 21 through 23, Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 15 through 28, Ezekiel chapter 23, verses 31 through 33, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 16, Revelation chapter 14, verse 10, chapter 16, verse 19, and chapter 18, verse 6. The nations will attempt to swallow up Jerusalem, but as they start to drink, they find themselves drunken and sick. The Sovereign Lord promises to make Jerusalem an immovable rock as the nations launch a siege against her. All who try to move it will injure themselves. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 3. God will provide deliverance, confusing, blinding the enemy's forces, and giving Israel the needed firepower for the battle. In that day, I will make the clans of Judah like a firepot among pieces of wood and a flaming torch among sheaves. So they will consume on the right hand and on the left all the surrounding peoples, while the inhabitants of Jerusalem again dwell on their own sites in Jerusalem. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 6. In the book of Revelation, we saw how the Lord marked parts of the city of Jerusalem for protection. Here we see he will also protect the dwellings of Judah and shield those who live in Jerusalem. The Lord himself will set out to destroy all the nations that attack Jerusalem. In the previous oracle, chapters 9 through 11, Zechariah acted out the role of the Messiah, shepherd king, and foretold that he would be rejected by his own flock. However, in chapter 12, God will pour out the spirit of grace and supplication, and Israel will discover that Jesus is the Messiah. In Zechariah chapter 14, we learn that the Lord will appear on the Mount of Olives as predicted, and there will be a great earthquake. Zechariah chapter 14 verse 4, Acts chapter 1 verses 9 through 12. They will look upon the one whom they pierced, and they will mourn. God will graciously grant them repentance. They will renounce their sin of unbelief and worship Jesus Christ as their Messiah. Their sorrow will be turned to joy. Even as Saul of Tarsus was arrested by God's sovereign mercy and granted repentance and faith, so God will bring salvation to the nation of Israel. In Romans chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, we read, For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and so all Israel will be saved. Just as it is written, The Deliverer will come from Zion, He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. The weeping of Israel's penitent tears is likened to the tears shed at Hadad Rimon in the plain of Megiddo. It was at this village near Jezreel, 
in the valley of Megiddo, where great lament was made for the death of King Josiah, slain by Pharaoh Necho II, in Second Chronicles chapter 35, verses 20-27. through 27. Extreme grief was felt as the last hope of Judah's failing line of kings was put to death. But the deep remorse felt by the nation of Israel when they recognized Jesus as their forgiving Messiah will be one of historic contrition. It will be felt by each person, each family, as well as the people as a whole. The mercy they discover is likened to a mystical fountain of forgiveness gushing forth with a revelation of God's grace that cleanses from all sin. In that day, a fountain will be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, for sin and for impurity. Zechariah chapter 13, verse 1. The fountain speaks of the Holy Spirit's ministry, which brings the revelation of God's sovereign grace through Christ's work on the cross and the power of His resurrection life to those who believe on Him. The power of the Spirit birthing true worship in the heart of the believer banishes idolatry, impurity, and false prophecy. Those who worship God must worship in spirit and truth. Sin, uncleanness, and living by lies must be put away. They cannot be excused, condoned, or compromised with. The prophet describes the mortification of the flesh that goes on in the life of the redeemed when yielded to the Spirit. Unrepentant false prophets will be put to death as prescribed in the law of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 18 verse 20 and chapter 13 verses 6 through 11 and the punishment will be exacted by the nearest of kin underlying the severity of such sin. The prevalence of justice will cause some false prophets to disavow their prophetic trade and pretend that they never engaged in the demonic practice. They pretended that the scars from their self-inflicted wounds, the self-mutilation and cutting associated with pagan worship, were wounds given by brawling companions in Zechariah chapter 13, verses 4-6. through 6. In contrast with the false prophets, we are presented with the true prophet, the Messiah, whom Zechariah calls my shepherd, in Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7. He prophesies that the true shepherd of Israel, a kinsman with whom he is close, shall be struck down in God's plan. This poetic utterance draws from Zechariah's previous prophecy, in chapter 11, verses 4 through 14, given in his dramatic portrayal of the Messiah as the shepherd rejected by the flock and of his being rejected and pierced by his people. The sheep will be scattered, but there will be a remnant who return and are saved. Zechariah chapter 13, verse 8. God will do a refining work with this remnant. And I will bring the third part through the fire, refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, and I will answer them. I will say, They are my people, and they will say, The Lord is my God. Zechariah chapter 13, verse 9. Now let's move on to the New Testament. Our reading today is from Revelation chapter 19, and we will read verses 1 through 21. Rejoicing in Heaven Revelation chapter 19 After this I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven, crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for His judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality, and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up for ever and ever. 
And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice, saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. The Marriage Supper of the Lamb Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult, and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The Rider on a White Horse Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses." From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God, to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth, with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. And this is the end of our reading from the New Testament, from the Revelation of Jesus Christ. The seventh and final bowl judgment has been poured out. Revelation chapter 16, verse 17. And the battle of Armageddon brings us to history's climax when the Lord Jesus returns with his own to establish his ultimate victory and to inaugurate his reign on the earth for a thousand years. The nineteenth chapter begins with a magnificent scene in heaven. There is great celebration as Babylon has been righteously punished. After these things I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah! 
Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, because his judgments are true and righteous. For he has judged the great harlot who was corrupting the earth with her immorality, and he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. Revelation chapter 19 verses 1 and 2. The destruction of Babylon was a righteous act of judgment. Vengeance belongs to the Lord, and he has taken vengeance on those who martyred the servants of God in Revelation chapter 6 verses 9 through 10 and chapter 17 verse 6. The judgment upon the nations of the world and Babylon the great was only the beginning of the eternal punishment of the wicked. For John hears the heavenly throng cry out, The smoke of her goes up for ever and ever. Revelation chapter 19 verse 3. The twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fall down and worship God. Then John hears once again the voice of a great multitude, sounding like thunder and the roar of many waters, announcing the marriage supper of the Lamb. This declares the inauguration of the millennium and the fact that Jesus, the heavenly bridegroom, has taken his bride as his co-regent and is ready to commence his kingdom reign on earth. It is a picture of grace. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. We are given the interpretation that the linen speaks of the outworking of the indwelling Christ, the righteous deeds of the saints. The bride has made herself ready, and it is all by God's grace. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are true words of God. Revelation chapter 19 verse 9. The importance of the announcement is emphasized by John saying, These are the true words of God, in verse 9. We learn that there are a variety of roles and privileges in the millennium. There is a bride of Christ, the church, in Ephesians 5, verse 25, composed of those who are saved from Pentecost to the rapture, and there are wedding guests. God has a plan for all who have been saved. They have various roles in God's redemptive history. It is true that all who come to faith are the true spiritual Israel, ultimately ruled of God, but the Lord has a special plan for those who come to faith in God in the Old Testament, for those who come to faith in the tribulation, and as we have seen, he has a plan for his covenant people, the nation of Israel. It seems that the Apostle John sees a fellow believer in his glorified state and is so awestruck that he mistakenly bows down to worship him. This person describes himself as a fellow servant with his brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus in Revelation chapter 19, verse 10. Some say that this is an angel, but the context seems to point to a glorified human being who is in Christ. Is he a brother or just with his brothers? He then states that the spirit of prophecy throughout the ages is the Christocentric and spirit-generated testimony that throughout history is exercised by human beings, not angels. The main purpose of prophecy is to testify of Jesus and give glory to Him. In verses 11-21, through 21, we get to see the climactic moments as Christ intervenes in the battle of Armageddon. This is the second coming. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, 
and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. There are distinctions between the second coming of Christ described here and the passages of Scripture that describe the catching up of the saints to meet the Lord in the air, otherwise known as the rapture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. In Revelation chapter 19, there is no reference to the dead in Christ rising and those who are alive meeting the Lord in the air. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, there is no reference to the Lord coming to the earth, but rather he meets the saints in the air. Verses 17 through 21 describe the destruction of the wicked, the unbelieving who dwell on the earth. The word of God triumphs over the armies of the earth. The horrid carrion feast for the vultures at Armageddon is a stark contrast with the glorious feast described as the marriage supper of the Lamb. Both are authored by God's sovereign hand. The armies of this world, together with the beast and the false prophet, are no match for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet, who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast, and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Revelation chapter 19, verses 20 and 21. Now we go to our next stop in our Bible reading tour, the book of Psalms, Psalm 147. He heals the brokenhearted. Psalm 147. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. His delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. For he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of the wheat. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. He hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word and melts them. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. Praise the Lord. Let's take a moment to reflect upon this psalm. The gospel inspires singing. How pleasant and fitting it is to praise the Lord and sing to our God. Do you express your thanksgiving to God in song? Do you honor the Lord with heartfelt praise for his marvelous works of creation and redemption? The psalmist honors the Lord as a builder, 
gatherer, healer of broken hearts and wounds. He praises the Lord for His infinite knowledge and creativity evident in the vast universe. He acknowledges His infinite power in verse 5 and His intimate care in verse 6. He exhorts us not only to sing, but to make music to honor His name in verse 7. He praises God for common grace, the ecosystem that provides for our creaturely needs. He does not take delight in the displayed prowess of His created beings, such as their strengths and talents, as much as He delights in being our Heavenly Father and having the trust and respect of His children. The psalmist specifically encourages the people of Israel to praise Him for their privileges in verses 12 through 14 and verses 19 and 20. The same Lord who dispenses what we need of wind and rain and who demonstrates power in icy blasts is the one who has graciously sent his word to accomplish the purpose for which he has commanded. Now let's go to our final stop in today's excursion, the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 31, verses 1 through 7. The Words of King Lemuel The Words of King Lemuel The Oracle That His Mother Taught Him What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? Do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed, and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to the one who is perishing, and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty, and remember their misery no more. This is the only address to a king in the book of Proverbs, and it is to one named Lemuel. We know nothing about him. He is given a prophetic word through his mother. He is warned not to have his strength dissipated by sensuality and alcohol. It reminds us of the Apostle Paul's word to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Drunkenness impairs judgment, whereas to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit is to have enhanced judgment. There is no need for recreational drugs, save the medicine for those who need it. Now let's pray. Lord Jesus, our gracious Savior, the shepherd smitten for us, our heavenly bridegroom, our returning King, you have revealed yourself as the Lord of history. Heavenly Father, thank you for our Redeemer, who has brought glory to your holy name. We have been blessed to receive your word and to know that it will accomplish the work for which you have sent it. You have turned us from our idolatries to serve you, the living God. You have enabled us to seek what is pleasing in your sight, and we ask that you preserve your choice purposes for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. There you have it. We covered quite a distance in our excursion today, stretching from the Middle East to the throne of God in heaven. And God willing, we'll be back tomorrow for our next installment. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. We are so encouraged by those who are being blessed by this podcast and are reading through the Bible each year. And I hope that this would inspire you to start again in January. You can contact us by email by writing podcast at newlife.org and you can always get a subscription to a written copy in your email box every day 
containing not only a commentary but also with illustrations and maps and charts that might be helpful. And if you are considering how you might support a ministry like this that is seeking to preach the word and make disciples of all kinds of people throughout the planet, you can give at our website at newlife.org or you can also send contributions to our mailing address, which is New Life Community Church, 221 Baker Avenue, Concord, Massachusetts. So until next time, may the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Shalom.